Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really happy to be finally connecting with Leah McDermott. Leah, thanks so much for making time to talk to us all today. Of course, I'm excited. We've been planning this for so long. We've been trying to connect for a really long time, which is often the way. But uh, today is the perfect time, obviously. So thanks so much. I will just introduce you briefly. Leah McDermott is a former master teacher turned unschooling advocate and mother of three. After a decade spent in the world of education, two Masters of Education degrees and multiple teaching certificates, Leia slowly began to realize that the way we're teaching our children in public schools went against everything that we know to be true about learning acquisition and child development. When she gave birth to her first son, she knew it was time to make a change and she left the classroom to be home with her child. Her passion for helping other children and families didn't disappear. However, so as soon as her son got older and closer to school age, she was determined to lean into trusting him as a learner and supporting other families to do the same with their children. Through developing a child-led learning curriculum, creating a supportive space online for parents, and most recently opening Bridge Academy, a private umbrella school for homeschoolers, Leia continues her life's work of encouraging adults to unlearn what they've always believed to be true as they lean fully into trusting their children as natural, capable learners. Leia currently lives in Pennsylvania with her husband, Brian, her three boys and a collection of pets. Outside of work, she and her family are passionate about traveling the world and learning about new things together. I really love that. You're really speaking my language. And there's so many things that I really want to jump into and ask you about that. But I wonder if you might just start first by sharing a little bit about more about that story and how you came to really understand and question a lot of these myths about education and learning. Yeah, you know, I have, I feel like I'm somebody that it's always fun to tell the story because I've seen every side of education through my journey. I actually was a homeschooled kid um, in the late 80s. My parents started homeschooling, which was not done. Um, and it was because School was not challenging enough is what the teacher said. So it was, oh, we have a gifted program. And then we moved because my father was in the military and there was no gifted program. And so it was very, very heavy academics, um, which was my own wound to have to heal later in life that that's what I was. That's that was me, that I was nothing more than a grade. Right. Um and then, so we started, I homeschooled as a kid, but it was very, very, very rigid school at home. We still had a classroom in our house and we had textbooks and tests and red pens and everything was still very, you know, nine to three, we were doing school work. Um, and so academics was a big part of my life. And I thought that I wanted to kind of carry that on and uh, teach in public schools. So I got my teaching degree. I got two master's degrees. I was all in on the education system. And then I was in it. And I began, my first job was as a kindergarten teacher. And 
They are so, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, they are so curious and creative and everything is magical and they want to learn and absorb everything and they have questions about everything. And so it was so much, it was perfect. It was the perfect way to start that career, right? Because they just were little sponges that wanted to absorb everything I was doing. And then after some time in kindergarten, the district that I was in, um, I don't know, they did redistricting as they do. And I got moved to a different school and went from kindergarten to fifth grade. And on the very first day of teaching fifth grade, it was like my first aha moment that something wasn't right because I went from this room of 30 kids who were so happy to do things and learn things to a room of 30 kids that were dull. The light was out of their eyes. They did not want to be there. They didn't want to read. They didn't want to write. They didn't want to learn. They didn't care. And it was like, what have we done in five years? What did we do to these children? We've destroyed them and this will be it forever. They'll never come back from this because it only gets worse from here. It gets harder. There's more, especially in the United States, it's all about testing and standardized assessments. And it just completely broke me. And that's when I, I spent a couple years teaching fifth grade. I was not very well liked by administration because I was <laughs> determined to do things differently. I was not going to be the one just pushing the agenda. Um, and then when I got pregnant, as I said, with my oldest, I was like, okay, well, I don't want him here. So I'm not going to be here anymore. And so I left the classroom then, but there was too much going on, right? I had to figure some stuff out. I did a lot of my own research at that time, going back to like, okay, what, you know, I went through this eight years of higher education system. Why wasn't, what, what did I miss? What were the gaps? Why aren't we talking about these things that I saw with my own eyes? And so I did a lot of research about like educational trauma, educational wounds, what we really know about child development. And then like looking at, you know, how, how is there such a disconnect between we know these things we know that literacy doesn't really develop until age 7 or higher so why are we forcing it when they're 5 years old we know that our brains are elastic and continue to grow for our whole lives why are we forcing it before they turn 18 years old and i was just i kept noticing these disconnects and so that's really you know, been my journey for the last, my oldest is going to be 13 this summer. So the last 13 and a half years has been just developing, sharing what I've learned, sharing what I know, creating resources and space for parents who are figuring this out for themselves as well and trying to find an alternative route for their children and the next generations. And really just continue, continuing that research for myself of like, you know, why, why do we have these disconnects? And there's, I'm, you know, a lot of very political reasons why I think, but um, yeah, that's that's my journey to, from there to here. <laughs> that's so amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I really loved hearing that. I loved the fact that you were homeschooled yourself, uh, albeit in a very different way to the way that you support your own children, but still. And I love the fact that you brought up your your wounds and, and the part that, that that plays in this whole process for, for all of us too. And that powerful description that you gave of children being these sponges eager to learn and full of creativity and curiosity as they come in initially into the schooling system with what you then saw five years later in terms of children being so destroyed in their love of learning and so I guess, empty of that creativity and that desire and that drive to learn because of being surrounded by the way that we 
uh, educating children and the pressure and the grading and all that kind of stuff. And I loved what you were saying there at the end too about the mismatch between what we actually know to be true about learning and how learning works and how that contrasts with what's actually going on in schools. It's yeah. quite difficult though, isn't it, to be sharing this kind of information and going against what is still very, very deeply conditioned into most people about what learning is, about all, all the different myths about how children learn, about you know learning being the result of teaching, about all children need to learn at the same time in the same way, about the concept of children being behind if they're not able to do something by a certain age. And often parents tell me that it, it's they're quite like I think frightened is the right word to pull their children out of school because this is so deeply ingrained into us. I'd love to ask you a bit about that, about that cultural conditioning around learning and how we can support parents to understand that we have choices and that some of this conditioning is is really not serving us or our children. No, definitely. And you nailed it. It's fear. It It, it is deep ingrained fear of doing something different, breaking from the system. And it's also, and you know, I don't really love the word indoctrination because I think that implies a lot of like evil intention, but that is truly what happens when you spend your entire life believing that this is the only way, whether you were good at it or not, whether you were a part of it and loved it or not, that that was the only way. And we very quickly, you know, the modern school system isn't really that old. It's less than 100 years that we've been doing public school this way. And when you compare that to all of humanity, how we've always learned, it's really just, you know, it is the experiment. Learning at home is not public school is an experiment. And yet we so quickly have been made to believe that it must happen that way on that trajectory. and breaking away from that, especially when it's a feeling, is really, really hard. Because it always, most of the parents that I work with, it starts there. It starts with that like mother's intuition of this isn't right for my child. I don't, they're not happy there. Like something isn't working for me. And they lean into that. And I credit the world of like gentle parenting and awareness around um, being in tune and connected with our children that now it's not just so there's more emotion around just like shipping your kid off to school. Now we've we've built these like early years connection with our kids. And so suddenly to then just do that, it doesn't feel right. And yet then all the fear bubbles up. And my most recent, it aligns perfectly with my most recent research and all of the work that I'm doing right now, which is on de-schooling. And, you know, there's a lot of language around the world of de-schooling on the internet and out there, but it's used to describe the very short period of time after removing a kid from public school. So a lot, you'll see that a lot, like, oh, you just pulled your kid out of public school, de-school for a while. And that's not really what de-schooling is. De-schooling is a very, very deep trauma healing process that 99% of the time it is a parent problem and not a child problem. And that depends on how old the child is. The longer they spent in the school system, yes, of course, they're going to have to do that healing work too. But the parents absolutely have to go through this process of going back in their minds to that, what was school like for you as a child? How did the system actually prepare you to be a parent, to be an adult? Because really, if I, in any other th thing, 
in life, if I spent 12 years learning something every single day for eight, seven, eight hours a day, I should really be qualified leaving there to then teach that to anyone that would need it, especially a child. And yet, so many adults leave that system immediately feeling like they didn't learn anything, they're not good enough, they don't have the skills they need, and they certainly could never do that job or do the teaching to their children. So it's fear, it's inadequacy, and just, you know, it's it is a an overall need for questioning the system that we feel like we have to protect. Um and it's just, yeah, it's it's a journey that you have to be willing to go on to every time and, and and understand that it could take a very, very, very long time, very long time, years, decades. Mm-hmm. Um, I am still, I'm almost 20 years into this work of like breaking down these mindsets and I still confront things all of the time like, whoa, why do I? Why do I believe that? Or that's that doesn't feel good to me anymore. Um, but yeah, and understanding like the trauma that really comes around being a part of an education system, even if it isn't very, very traumatic. Like, of course, we have stories of children who are abused in schools or children who develop very severe anxiety and depression, and that's only getting worse. Um, but even just the wounds of like, feeling like academics was all you were good at and and just this constant need to have to like prove your worth prove your value people who are like perpetual schoolgoers right well I'll just go back and get another degree like that's what I know how to do that's all I know how to do um or even just like the um the kid who just skates through right like what time they wasted in childhood just existing there it's a lot to undo and uncover um and it's not easy and it's not comfortable. Um, And so, you know, I just tell parents, like, you have to be willing to do this a day at a time and not attach your healing journey and your fear and your questions to, or your insecurities, to what your child is experiencing. Because, you know, every time that fear comes up, like I tell parents to ask yourself, is this for me or my child? Is my child struggling? Are they worried? Are they concerned? Are they having, you know, uh, uh, are they upset that they're not achieving on this timeline? Or are they perfectly happy? They're doing their own thing. They're living life and they're being curious kids and you're scared because it looks different. And then we, if we don't do that work of asking that question and digging into that, then we don't respond to that fear. We react to that fear. And that reaction often looks like jerking the chains of our child back into the system that we are familiar and comfortable with, which for homeschooling parents might look like saying, this isn't working, they have to go back to school. It might look like saying, you've been doing nothing all of the time, so we have to do schoolwork, buying new curriculum, making them sit down and take assessment tests, just a reaction to that, like, okay, well, clearly what I'm doing isn't working because I don't feel comfortable, so I need to do what everyone else is. Um, And that creates a lot of insecurity, a lack of safe feelings for your child, and you're really just perpetuating exactly what would be happening in the school system because they've lost that trust in themselves and their capability. Yes. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I love how you've described that whole process. <laughs> that, right, that was it's, and it's it's a long process, and it's a lot for yeah. people to to really understand. And 
And yeah, I love that it starts, like you say, with this mother's intuition that we often feel right at the beginning of the process of parenting. Now we have such access to so much amazing information about attachment and about trauma and about all these other things that really supports us to start questioning right from the beginning, often before our child is even born, how we want to be doing this and how we want to be raising our children differently and how that then can so often lead when our children reach the school age, in inverted commas, into starting to question some of the assumptions about what is best for our children and their learning. And I loved what you were saying about the de-schooling and deconditioning process, because it's not, you know, a one month for every year your child was at school. Exactly. This is about an ongoing day-by-day process that we are all in forever around deconditioning ourselves. And I really think that's the biggest part of this process for us as parents. And I, yeah, I'm 20 years in now. And yeah, my my children have come to the end of their school years and it's I'm still doing it. And it really does take a long time. But I loved how you described it. It's such an invitation for us to be able to tune in to our fears and our worries rather than to be reacting to our children. And, you know, my most painful memories of the homeschooling process were when my fears and doubts and worries came up and I wasn't able to really be in that or reach out for support in the way that I needed in that moment and ended up you know, throwing that at my children. And you must sit down and work. No, we're behind. And, and all of that stuff that came out at them. And those were the, the hardest, hardest times. And so it really does require us to be, I guess, really willing to sit in the discomfort of, of all of the painful stuff that comes up for us around, you know, comparison with others, around doing what we're told, around, being fearful of being, you know, humiliated or shamed if we get something wrong or if we make a mistake around being frightened to speak up. And, you know, that's something that I think is obviously something you've done a lot of work on because you're really willing to speak up about this. And, <laughs> and that's that in itself is a big process. You know, fears around the experience of being punished as a child if you if you did something wrong or if you, you know, around being coerced, around thinking that we're stupid or that we don't know what we're talking about or that we're not capable or who are we to be doing this? Yeah, there's a lot okay. there for us to be unpacking and exploring. Oh, yeah. It's a big one. And the performance of it all, which as I continue to watch you know, because obviously I'm trying to remove as many people as I can from the system in a he- you know, healthy way. I still watch what's happening there because so many children are still there. And it is remarkable how even just in 10, 15 years, it has become even more of a performance-based system. And that fear and anxiety of constantly having to perform your knowledge for people is exhausting. Reading out loud, testing everything. Like if it's literally, if I always just try to tell parents, like, how would you feel if you, if someone did this to you, an adult? And if we run, if we ran everything we did to children through that filter, if an adult did this to you, how would you feel? We'd make so many different decisions for our kids because we would hate that. And I think, you know, as you were saying, all of these other fears, like one of the most powerful effects of going through this de-schooling process is how much you will start to pay attention to what this does to humans outside of school, because this just continues, right? Like the way that we then value ourselves 
in a workplace or in like our in within our our governments, how we view ourselves as citizens, the way we believe that we deserve to be treated, that fighting against that like rat race and like work until you're 70 or 80 and then hope you live long enough to retire doing jobs that you hate. Like it opens up so much when you start to realize what that trajectory did for you. And especially in the last 10 years, we've noticed like you, a college degree doesn't even guarantee you a job anymore. And like you, putting reality with this too, like we know within the next 10 to 15 years, 80% of the jobs today will be done by AI or robots. So there won't even be jobs for our kids coming out of this system. We're not even preparing them. The system has not changed. This, what we teach in the school system, it's exactly the same as it's been for 50, 60 years. So it's not even adequately, you know, we're so worried about parents get so scared that they're not doing it, that unschooling or even like, you know, alternative homeschooling looks so different. That's the point. The point is that the world is different. Everything is different. And so you're actually preparing your children even more for the way the world is going by focusing on things like communication skills, leadership skills, life skills, how to do things for ourselves. That's what actually matters. And that's what employers look for now. They don't care what your SAT scores were or your high school chemistry class. And yet we are dooming kids to carry those feelings about themselves as readers, as learners, as people for the rest of their lives. Yeah, it's it's really, there's so much else to see, like the ripples of this into our everyday lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you raised that around the performance-based system where children are constantly, constantly, right from the beginning now, having to prove their knowledge and how really stressful it is. And it's impossible to quantify a child. You just can't. And yet that is what our system is doing every day. And the damage of being subjected to that endless grading, questions, scores, exams is incredibly stressful for children. And that trauma that they experience as a result of that continues into adulthood. And, you know, that's something, again, that I'm still de- I don't even know what the word is, deconditioning, um, healing for myself mm -hmm. around too. And it's just you know, dealing with with all of that as a child when we can see the results of it in our children now, many of whom are leaving school illiterate anyway, but also mm -hmm. with a really growing, the severe mental health crisis amongst young people. And how much of that is is coming from the kind of pressure that our children mm -hmm. are subjected to at school. It's, it's just, you know, often people say, if you're choosing to homeschool or if you're choosing to pull your children out of school, it's just because you, you want to be at home. But it's just about so much more than that, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, oh, it's I, I had so many like thoughts that my brain goes to with what you just said. Like the performance thing is really the hardest thing for me, even like now when I'm just reading for pleasure. My husband will say something like, oh, what's the book you're reading about? And like, I, I cringe inside. Like I have to like, oh, I have to have an answer. And that's like, I know where that comes from. That's because every book I ever read as a child, I needed to answer questions or give a book report or do some project around it. I couldn't just enjoy it just because it was something I wanted to enjoy. So that you're right, that performance anxiety, I guess, is best. It just sticks with you forever. And 
yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't even really know where I want to go with this. It's just, it's the mental health crisis is, is just, it's heartbreaking. The older my son gets, the more I see it in the friends that he has. Um, most of his friends are 14, 15 years old. And to just, to see the, the crushing pressure, the aimlessness, the comparison, the anxiety, the insomnia, like, I just don't understand how we don't see it. You know, it's like I'm looking from the outside and I see all of these kids in the morning. My kids are still peacefully sleeping in and they're like zombies trudging up the street, walking to school. And it's like, what are, what are we doing? Like, it's just, it breaks my heart to even think about it really. Like I know my, my mission is to talk about it, but it, it truly breaks my heart. And really the, Bridge Academy is the newest thing that I do. And this year, our largest population of incoming new students were 11th and 12th graders who just couldn't do it anymore. They could not. It didn't even matter if they had six months left till graduation. They had to get out of that environment. It is the I mean, I don't know if this, the rates are the same in Australia, but in the United States, suicide is the number one killer of teenagers. Mm. And they're, they're spending 80, 90 percent of their time at school. So what is the culprit here? You know, and why are we not doing something different? Because what is it for? What are what are they truly gaining by being in a public school classroom all day, every day where their time is not their own? What are they real? Are they really leaving that with something so magical that it is worth it that they're leaving with anxiety and depression and stress and aimlessness? Because very, very few 17 and 18 year olds, like less than 10 percent, leave that experience knowing what they want to do next. Because our brains are not developed yet. Most kids, and they haven't had the opportunity to really experience anything different. And that's the most amazing thing about homeschooling and unschooling is they have the world's at their fingertips. They can learn whatever they want. They can try everything. My, the other day we went to an aquarium and he was like, could I scuba dive? <laughs> like, yeah, you can. Because we have time all day whenever we want to Figure out how to do that. And you can experience that and figure out if that's something you want to do again later or not. And it's just, we don't, the, most kids don't have that opportunity and they're just kind of pushed through this conveyor belt um, and then dumped on the other side, left to figure it out. There's no continued support unless they just continue to college, most of which don't enter with a major in mind. So yeah, really, the the hardest thing for me right now is trying to figure out for those kids, especially like how how are we not? Again, it's the disconnect, right? This is what we know. This is what we're doing. And who's standing in the middle, going, "These guys, guys, these are not the same here." Yeah, absolutely. And I love the example there about how a small way that your school trauma impacts you still as an adult, and I, I that really resonated for me too. I have that experience often around you know questioning myself, having performance anxiety. And there are so many times when things feel really hard and it's because of the pressure that I was put under at school. But I really love how, again, that sharply contrasts with the possibility 
the endless mm-hmm. possibility that our children experience when we just keep them out of this system. And really, when we think about like how short our children's childhood is, you know, really, we're talking about such precious time for them and for us mm-hmm. to be together as well. And those are all those memes and things that you see online about how, you know, by the by the age of 12, your child has spent 75% of the time that they're ever going to spend with you and how our culture sets up these systems right from the beginning around disconnection and separation between parents and children. And yet we didn't evolve to live like that. As you said, this has been a minute part of our human history to be living this way. And I worked out the other day that I think my children have had approximately 18,000 extra hours together with Mm -hmm. me as a result of going through this home, the whole way, the whole way through their school years being at home. And that means that the worst my children have ever received is me at my worst. Yeah, yeah. They've never been subjected to any of this. And I really see how powerful that is in terms of them being relaxed, being Mm -hmm. healthy, feeling well. Of course, they have challenges and things are difficult sometimes, but they're not burdened in that way that you're describing children coming out of school year 11, year 12, feeling Mm -hmm shells of of who they're meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they've lost all of it. And, you know, you you bring up a really good point of that even for kids who are fully unschooled, my son's never, my, my children have never stepped foot in a school. His experience is completely different from his those of his public school friends. And yet all kids are still going to go through puberty. They're still going to have social drama. They're still going to have, you know, uh, relationship issues and, and physical growths and struggles. They didn't make the basketball team. You know, like they're still going to go through all of those things. And yet school just makes that harder because they don't ever get to step away from that. You know, the the middle, I think it's, I forget the statistics of it, but something about like the body, the human body between the ages of like 12 and 16 grow more and do more growing and developing than any other time in life other than like the first six months of life. And, you know, my son will come in, he'll come back, he'll go out with his friends and he'll come home and they'll walk in the door. And I swear some of these kids have grown like six inches since the last time I've seen them, right? You know, because they're 13, 14, and they're just, they walk in and suddenly they're taller than me. And all I can think is your poor body must be in so much pain. Like literally your bones are stretching and yet still 6 a.m. The alarm goes off, up you go, off to school, sit in the chair all day, fill out. You're supposed to still pay attention. Imagine if we were still expected to show up to our jobs and be fully alert all day, every day, while our bodies were growing and changing and our brains and our hormones were all over the place. It's really um, abusive, honestly. I mean, it really just, there's no leniency, there's no understanding, there's no realization that all of that is happening to our children. It's, It's just so rigid. Too bad. That's what you keep doing. You have to show up. You have to do it. We're training little workers to show up and be good workers. Um, Bringing home homework is just an expectation then that you will then take your work home as an adult, your unpaid work. There's a lot of abuse that's happening that isn't, I think, talked about that isn't seen, you know, because it's not physical or whatever. But that's something that I think about a lot is especially for our older kids, how much they are already going through just by being human. 
and we don't allow them to just experience that. Like, this is what I tell so many parents, even if the only thing your child does in middle school and high school is just learn how to pay attention to their bodies, trust their bodies, take care of their bodies, take care of their relationships, that will take them further in life than any class or textbook that you would have forced them through. And that's just truth. How many of us are as adults now, we have struggles in our relationships and taking care of our homes, our bodies, because that wasn't that we weren't taught that. That was something that we're now trying to figure out how to do while being adults and parents and workers. And if our kids had had that opportunity to grow up and develop that that way in a very innate and real way, the world would be a different place today. Yeah. And you, know, you talked about mental health, that that's, you know, that's how we counteract that by teaching them how to help, how to cope when they're younger with, by removing the stressors for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so profoundly powerful, isn't it? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to ask you a bit then about how we can support parents to be thriving if they make this decision to support their children's learning in a very different way outside of the system. And you know, one of the big parts of that is learning how to cultivate trust uh, in our children and ourselves. And also, you know, dealing with the judgments of others, because often we come face to face with people who feel very differently about it or people who haven't even begun to question any of this thing. So they really don't understand what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it. And often that's a really uncomfortable place for us to be in because we often have our questions and our doubts too. And then when we come face to face with parents questioning it or people on the street asking our children. I remember people asking my kids about maths. How do you learn maths? And do you know your times yeah. table? And what's nine times eight? I mean, you know, so it, we really yes. are required to, to really resource ourselves to be able to navigate some of those aspects of doing this and making these different choices. What kind of yeah. things do uh, you offer for parents to support themselves on on that sort of journey? How can we have those those conversations and what do we need to be doing ourselves as parents as part of that? Yeah, these are two of like my favorite topics. I'm so glad you brought both of these up, trust and then other people. So I'll start with how to approach other people. Now, I will admit this is easier for me because one of the I I was born with the resiliency to not worry about other people's opinions. Thank God. But I understand that that is very much not the truth. And we did come into a lot of um, backlash for our decisions within our families. Um, so it was still something that we very personally had to deal with. And my husband was not as resilient. So that was a very, very hard period for us of dealing with that. And I think the most important thing that everyone needs to remember is that it is not your responsibility to make other people comfortable with the choices you make for your family. You did the research. You know your child. It is you and whoever you are co-parenting with. It's your decisions. And that's it. And so just setting a boundary around that immediately, you don't have to educate other people. That's not your job. It's not your job to teach your mother-in-law about the statistics around homeschooling. It's not your job to make the stranger at the grocery store feel comfortable that your kids are out in public with you at one o'clock in the afternoon when they should be in school, right? That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is 
to your children, your choices within your home. And so when you can like relieve yourself of that, that's a lot of it because we feel like we have to justify our choices to other people. And remembering that people who are going to outwardly question you, most often they are doing that. It's usually not from a place of like, oh, I'm genuinely curious. Why are you doing that? It is from a place of judgment because your different choices make them feel uncomfortable that they never questioned it. And that is especially true with family members, right? So if you have a grandparent, a ch- one of your children's grandparents that is outwardly speaking against you homeschooling or questioning and judging and quizzing your child, if they put you in school, if you were a public school student, you doing something different, that feels like an affront to them. You, It's like you're saying, I I didn't like what you chose, so I'm doing something different. And they take that very personally. And it's not about that for you. It doesn't have to be about that. Um, and so... Un, that's a it's a place of being able to understand i okay i can i can understand why they're feeling that way but it's not my responsibility to educate them and so depending on your comfort level there can be some people who are like well we did it because of these reasons here's some resources if you want to read up and being that person that's willing to share for a lot of parents especially in those early years where you're still maybe dealing with some of that insecurity yourself you need to set very secure boundaries for yourself and your children especially around how people are allowed to question you and your choices. And so for people you see all of the time, family members, grandparents, that can just be create a line for yourself that you're going to say every time, thank you for your concern, but we're comfortable with our choices right now. We're not interested in making other ones. And when you say that enough to one person, they're going to get the hint. (laughs) And eventually for some people, it might even look like cutting off a relationship temporarily. And I've had to be in that situation and it's hard, but protecting yourself and your children from a constant stream of judgment when you're already feeling anxious about your choices, it's it's life-saving. And in terms of stranger re- interactions, when your children are younger, don't let them be put on the spot. Don't let other people feel brave enough for you. You have to be your child's advocate. So feel brave enough for your child to say, my child doesn't have to answer your questions. They don't need to respond to that. We are homeschooled. That's not your business. Like whatever you have to come up with to protect them and then preparing them when they're older, saying, preparing your child for things they can say. You don't ever have to answer someone's questions like you're on display and performing for them. But if you have something you want to share, you can talk to them about that instead. Because in in my experience with strangers, at least, it's really just that we don't know how to talk to kids anymore. If they're not in what we believe to be the only thing, and I've noticed that as my children have started doing more things in the community, like being on sports teams and joining clubs and things, all of the language that we talk to kids about, it, what grade are you in? What class are you in? What school are you in? What subject do you hate? It's all school focused. They don't even know how to communicate with kids like who they are outside of school. That's it. You're just 90% of you is school. And then the kid on the weekends playing sports. So really just how much comfort can you have? But it is not your responsibility to make other people feel okay with your choices. So that's a big one for me. And then in terms of trusting your child, that 
You know, the most important part of this process, especially, and I know, you know, we're going to be talking to two different groups of parents here, really, because it's going to be, I know there's a huge group of parents who have, you know, two, three, four-year-olds, and they're preparing to homeschool. And so their children have probably not had that exposure yet. And then we're going to have the group of parents who have kids who have been in the public school system and they want to make a change. And so those parents have to understand that most likely your child does not have that trust in themselves anymore. And so if your child has been in public school and you're changing that trajectory for them, that's like a a two-pronged process you're going on here. Not only are you personally working on that de-schooling journey of trusting myself as a guide, trusting my child as a capable learner, but you're also facilitating that healing experience for your child to rediscover who they are outside of a student and learning that they are confident and capable and can trust themselves. And that is a lot harder than just the initial journey of, okay, my child was never in that experience. So I just have to work on the trust from, from my angle. You know, ultimately it does still all boil down to that process of de-schooling ourselves. But if you are bringing an older child home you really have to understand two things. Number one, any reactions that they are going to go through are not personal. It's like healing a physical wound. Sometimes it looks a lot worse before it gets better, especially if it's a wound that we've covered and ignored and not paid attention to and it festered and now we're going to heal it, right? It's gross, but I think about that like surgical analysis, right? Like that's, that's what trauma is. Trauma is healing a wound. It's just not one that you see. And so working on your own reactions to what might come up for your child if they beg to go back to school, if they are resistant and arguing and fighting, all of that. Now that they're in this safe space and they're staying there, that trauma can come out. And it's not pretty, but you continuing to be that safe, calm anchor for them is how they heal and find that trust for themselves again. And then also understanding that there is not a timeline for healing. Some kids might come home and in 30 days, they are feeling great and excited to do some other things. And some kids might, I talk to parents all of the time who it is years until they see that light again in their children's eyes. And so understanding that, there's there's not a timeline for this however however much you're and you might not even be aware of what your child was tamping down in a school system until they're not there anymore how many parents go to parent teacher conferences and they say oh your kid's so quiet they're so calm they're such a joy to have here they're never loud they never speak up that's not always a good thing. Kids are meant to be loud and boisterous and moving their bodies. And so then when that that child who was always timid and quiet in school doesn't have to be that way anymore, it can take a while for that to all come out. So really just patience, patience more than anything else. And anytime, a little exercise for that so that there's actually some action here, anytime that fear comes up for you, right? Like, oh, this is taking too long. They're not doing anything. Give yourself 24 hours. Permission for 24 hours to like, I'm not going to worry. There's literally, unless there's no emergency, right? None of this is, no one's on fire. There's nothing, you know, one needs to go to a hospital here. We're all just 
going to calm down. I'm not going to think about this for 24 hours, but instead I'm going to take that 24 hours and I am going to pay attention to everything that my child can do, not what they're not doing, what they can't do, what can they do, especially outside of academics? Because sometimes we get like these blinders on when we're in that fear, right? It's just all I see is standardized test scores and math class and reading, and I don't see my child doing those things. So I start to panic and the laser focus gets smaller. And if we remove that, then oh my gosh, you're going to see so many things in that 24 hours, like how they communicate with their siblings, how they help around the house, little skills that they have, physical talents that they have, things that they actually are interested in and really good at. You're able to see then the growth of the human in front of you and not just the the little tiny part of who we are that's academics. That's the tiniest part. And and we know as adults, it doesn't matter. You and I are having this conversation. It doesn't, do you care what age I was when I learned to read? It doesn't matter, right? It does. I don't care what your high school algebra grades were. None of that matters later. So remove that frustration, even for a little bit, because it really can help to see then what your child's actually really capable of. I love that. Yeah, I really love that. And I loved how you started that answer too about it not being our responsibility to be making other people comfortable for our decisions. And of course, that's a really difficult one often for us because as children, it often was our responsibility to make everybody else comfortable. So learning now that actually we can be prioritizing being an ally and an advocate for our child requires lots of support and lots of unpacking the stuff that's there for us too, doesn't it? And I loved what you're saying too about boundaries and coming back again and again to like, our southern star or our northern star or whatever, our why, why are we doing this? Why does this mean something to us? So that we are then able to take the judgments and criticisms of others so much more lightly and to be able to say, and we we also had this a similar answer where we would say things like, you know, thank you. And I know that you really love your, your these children and that's why you're worried about them. And we've got this, it's okay. Or I remember my son saying, oh, I don't think you're actually, are you actually qualified to be asking me test questions like that? (laughs) Kind of in a jokey way too, as a way to respond. But I loved what you're saying too around the trust and about not taking it personally and seeing these big things in our children as, as signs that they're releasing and healing if they have been in the system. And also understanding about it, you know, they're not being a timeline for healing, but they're not being a timeline for learning either. Yeah. And yes. for us to to keep coming back to to getting support and listening for the things that are coming up for us so that we can take a moment and pause and breathe and just say, okay, just for 24 hours, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to focus on connection and observing my child and seeing all the ways that they are learning. And of course, that's that's one of the really beautiful and empowering things about doing this, that we do slowly learn to see immense value in everything that our children do, not just in academic learning. We see all of the things that they choose to do and all the ways that they choose to spend their time as being equally valuable in terms of their learning that is going on all the time. And so any time that they are choosing to do something, any time that they are engaged in an activity that's meaningful for them, we can see, particularly when it's self-initiated, that there is so much learning going on. And when we come back to that, we come back to a trust again, trust in them 
and less of that fear, less of that worry, less of that questioning and uncertainty and anxiety for ourselves. So I really love that. I'm wondering if you wanted to say anything else then about how this process, I mean, there's, we could talk for hours about this, but about supporting parents with the overwhelm sometimes with all of the different aspects that we're juggling when we are responsible for supporting our children ourselves at home and, and all the other things that we're doing. Are there any things that you recommend that can support parents to make this process more enjoyable and, and less stressful? Because it, it can often, it's a big thing that we're doing. Sure, it is. And it is. And it also isn't. And I think that sometimes we, it feels like we're taking on a job, like, okay, now I'm their parent and their teacher. And I think that that creates this like burden that we place on ourselves unnecessarily because it really isn't, it doesn't have to be that. It really is just continuing to live life with your children. The hardest thing is, especially if you're transitioning from public school to homeschool, the hardest thing is being together all the time. That's the hardest part or feeding them <laughs> all day long, right? But like truly, you don't have to add anything else. And that's the thing. Our kids are actually very, very capable of choosing what they want to do and how they want to spend their time. And if you can even just adjust your sights a little bit or your your roles from teacher to guide facilitator i think facilitator is probably my favorite word with yeah. my kids because yeah, I, love I don't i don't pressure them into anything it's when something comes up we have a conversation and i facilitate what they need for that whether that is a mentor in the community, uh, an expert in something. And what an amazing thing. That is my favorite thing, that I can source learning to experts specifically when it's in, you know, we know this is what the gap there. Again, one of those things we know, but we don't do. We know for sure that meaningful learning is true learning. When we care about something, we are going to commit it to memory. We are going to learn it. And so when a child becomes interested in something and they genuinely want to learn more and they're in a place where they feel safe to ask questions about it, not I'm hovering over them, waiting for them to show an interest so that I can pounce with some trickery, right, about, oh, good, this is a thing I can turn into an interest now. <laughs> now I get to make lessons. That's not right? We're not adding that burden for us or them because it doesn't work anyway. And kids are very smart. They know when they're being tricked into a learning experience. Instead, if I sit back and let that come to me, mom, I'm interested in these things. Or, hey, can I ask questions about these things? And then I can go find an expert in that field who probably really loves what they're doing because it's not traditional academics. It's things like scuba diving or whatever. Um, one of my kids was interested in boxing for a while. So we found someone to teach him boxing lessons, did that for maybe three months, and then he got what he needed. But that was such an empowering experience. And I could find someone else to do it. I don't have to be that expert. So that's, you know, relieving yourself of that pressure. You don't have to be all of those things. You can still just be the loving parent the facilitator of the needs that your child will come up with, which when they're little is so simple. <laughs> they need to go outside. 
They need someone to read books to them, and they need an environment filled with things that they can be curious and busy with. That's it. Truly, that's it. Beautiful. And yeah, nothing has to change. Yeah. So just relieve, relieve that burden. It doesn't have to be hard. Yeah, I love that. And it's so empowering, isn't it? To go yeah. from thinking us of ourselves as having to be our child's teacher to go to to be thinking of ourselves as being our child's facilitator. And really that requires us again to come back to that deconditioning process mm-hmm. away from that idea that learning is the result of teaching and to yeah. instead be really embracing and understanding the idea that learning is just the result of living. <laughs> And exactly. being so it's such a and if I can add if I can add there too, just to relieve some of that fear, having been an educator in that world, first of all, most of what we learn in teacher school is not content. We're not masters of content either as teachers. We are learning behavior management techniques. We are learning how to control thirty to forty kids in one room. And that directly translates to what happens in school. And this is why even parents who come pull their kid back and do school at home, they're marveled that they can do eight hours of work in two hours because six hours of that is spent in crowd control and behavior management. So removing that role of teacher is actually a really like most of that's not even content learning anyway. So if you don't feel prepared Trust me, it's not it's not what you think it is anyway. Yeah, yeah. I love mm-hmm. that. So, Leah, where can people find out more information about you and, and what do you offer to support parents with this process? Yeah, so there's two places to kind of find what I do. Your Natural Learner is my main business, and that's pretty much where you can find me on all social media. Um, Instagram's where I like to hang out the most, so just at Your Natural Learner. And through that, you can find we do have like a child led curriculum, which is basically just a bunch of activity ideas based on child development at a certain age. It's a really nice, like gentle structure for people who want to unschool and don't feel confident letting go of everything yet. Um, So that's what that's for. And then we're always offering um, workshops and lessons and just some really nice trainings to kind of talk about these things. Um, And then Bridge Academy, like I said, is our new um, private school for homeschoolers where what Bridge basically does is named that for a reason, bridging that gap, all those gaps we've talked about. Bridge is that gap. Our students, we have around 1,300 students from 32 countries all around the world, even just going into our third year, which is so exciting. But basically, when your students enroll, they are private school students. So for most parents, that means you don't also have to take on the burden of homeschool regulation paperwork where you live. We do that for you. So that's one less thing that you have to worry about. The kids can, um, you're free to learn however you want. You fully unschool, use our curriculum, use your curriculum. You can do whatever works for your family. And we turn that into credits so that your child has an official transcript so that if they do desire to go off to college um, when they graduate, they will have a high school diploma. They will have uh, credits and transcripts to go with them to make basically turning all of that life learning into credit <laughs> that, uh, you know, shows up on a piece of paper. So, um, wow. yeah, that, that sounds amazing. 
Amazing. <laughs> I'll put all those links in the show description. Thank you. And it's interesting, isn't it? University is something that often comes up and my children have been homeschooled all the way through with this natural learning approach. And they're both starting university this year. My son's starting his second year at university, my daughter's starting her first. So the idea that you have to go to school in order to go to university is just no longer relevant at all. No, um, and I would argue they're even more prepared to enter that because they're such free thinkers and there's all the the things they have to adjust and learn at that point are so simple that mm. it's they're they're more prepared actually. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So the last thing I ask all of my guests is if you could go back to the beginning of this process in your family, what would you love to be able to tell yourself back then that you now deeply understand that perhaps you didn't you didn't fully understand at the beginning of the process? I think for me it would have been that realization that it wasn't my responsibility to educate everyone around me. I felt very, and again, I think it's just that performance anxiety that I have from school, but I very much did feel like it was my job, especially since I made it my business too. I felt like it was my responsibility to make everyone feel good about my choices, not just that they knew what I was doing, but that it was my job to educate them, to share statistics, to show them resources, to prove what my kids knew and what they could do compared to other kids. I felt like I put a lot of that pressure on myself and on my oldest son. And I I wish that someone had told me 15 years ago, hey, you know what? All your bubble, this is it. That's all you're responsible for is these people right here. And everyone else, it's that's up to them if they want to figure it out or not. Oh, I love that. So empowering. That's beautiful. Oh, I love this conversation. I could carry on talking to you for hours. Thank you so, so much, Leah, for sharing all of your wisdom and learnings and understandings and supports. And it's really, really powerful for, for parents to have access to this information. So thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me and for being willing to put this information out there so more people can hear it. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.